You may be seated. I just want to share the sermon will look a little different this morning. I'll be taking on a character from our scripture passage and telling the story from his perspective. Sometimes it's helpful to imagine what a character thought or felt as we examine the narrative. So in doing so, I'm going to stay true to the storyline, but we'll take some creative liberties. If this is your first time visiting with us this morning, this is not how we always preach. This will be a little different. Um, Nonetheless, I believe this is a unique and helpful way of us entering into the story. So let's pray before I begin uh, as I step into the pulpit. Father, we praise your name that you are king and that you can begin a good work in us and you bring it to completion. Lord, we thank you that as we see in our story today, you are the God of transformation. Lord, I pray that we would be people who are transformed by your grace and mercy in our life. And we ask that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm not proud of every decision in my life. Looking back, I cringe thinking about some of the ways that I've treated family members. I was greedy, selfish, fearful, and just a flat-out hypocrite. Despite my checkered past, though, God has done an incredible work of renewal in my life. People ask me all the time, what brought about this transformation? How did you change? The answer is simple. God. God revealed my sin. He poured out his mercies in this, transformed me. My name is Judah. I'm one of the 12 sons of Jacob. And this is my story. Money can be a helpful tool at times. In fact, as you'll find out soon, money is what saved my family from starvation during a great famine. But because of my story, anytime I see a silver coin, it reminds me of a grievous sin. You see, 20 pieces of silver resulted in the first big mistake I ever made. And it set in motion a sequence of events that would alter the course of my life forever. But not just mine, my whole family's. It happened on that day when my brothers and I were in the field of Dothan watching our father's flocks. In those early days, Joseph made our blood boil. He was objectively dad's favorite. I remember how badly I wanted to be the favorite. As one of 12 brothers, I had to fight tooth and nail for any attention from dad. This was not the case for golden boy Joseph. Dad lavished love on him freely and generously without him even trying for it. He gave Joseph a beautiful cloak while I wore simple and dirty cloth day after day. One day, as Joseph came walking towards us wearing that audacious piece of clothing once again, Our collective jealousy and anger erupted like a raging volcano. I'm not sure who thought of it first, but someone suggested we kill this ridiculous, spoiled dreamer and throw him into one of the nearby pits. So that's exactly what we did. 
We even sat down for a meal afterwards to celebrate our accomplishment. We felt justified. We felt vindicated. And yet, if I'm honest, I knew this was wrong. I even felt a small internal voice whisper, that is your brother, your very flesh, rescue him. I had an opportunity to save him, but I didn't. I looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with gum, balm, and myrrh on their way down to Egypt. Even from a long way off, I could see that this caravan was worth vast amount of money. I'm not exactly sure why I had this thought, but an idea came to me. I'm the one that said to my brothers, what profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our own brother, our own flesh. And they listened to me. We sold him for 20 pieces of silver and my share was a measly two coins to this day. I can recall the sound as Joseph screamed and begged for mercy. I remember how it felt as he resisted us, forcing him to that caravan. I'll never forget the look of childlike fear and betrayal on his face as that caravan began to pull him down that dusty road. I still ask myself, why was I willing to do that for a couple pieces of silver? Greed, entitlement, jealousy, and selfishness must have blinded me. An action like selling your brother, that leaves an impact on you. How can it not? This decision set me on a course of destruction that would bear bad fruit for years to come. I had a charge to defend Joseph as my own flesh and blood. But instead, I destroyed him. My last encounter with Joseph was marked by him pleading for mercy. Little did I know that our roles would be reversed only 20 years later. I would be the one begging for mercy from him. But I'm getting a little ahead of myself. Selling Joseph, it seared my conscience. And this beginning, this decision marked the beginning of my deep downward trajectory. It only led to more wickedness. Let me tell you about a story of my next big sin. You may know that I slept with my daughter-in-law and fathered a child with her. Here's how that happened. I had three sons with a Canaanite woman, Ur, Onan, and Shelah. And my wickedness was passed on to them. It's true what they say. The apple does not fall far from the tree. My son Ur married Tamar, and the Lord put him to death because of his wickedness. But it didn't end there. God also put my second son, Onan, to death because of his relationship with Tamar. At this point in my life, I was too scared to fulfill my social responsibility and give Tamar to my third son, Shelah. He was my last son, my only heir. I couldn't lose him. He was the future of my family line. Instead of giving Tamar to Shelah in marriage, I tried to delay the situation. 
I plotted for Tamar to remain a widow for the rest of her days. When Tamar realized my intention, she took matters into her own hands. She disguised herself as a prostitute, and she seduced me. I, the foolish and lustful man that I am, I slept with her. She demanded a pledge of payment, and consequently, she ended up with my signet, my cord, and my staff. I thought nothing of temporarily giving a prostitute these symbols of my very identity. My mind and my body were only focused on that imminent pleasure. Later, I would send my friend Harar the Adulamite to pay for her services with a young goat. I did this in order to get back my signet, cord, and staff. I should have known that something was wrong when he came back and told me that he couldn't find her. Not only that, the people in the town had never seen a cult prostitute in there as of late. Rather than letting all of this come to light, I was fearful of becoming the laughingstock of the region. So I thought it best to sweep this all under the rug. I needed to try and limit my exposure on this, to preserve my reputation. Reputation was everything to me back then. Three months later, I found out Tamar was pregnant. At that time, I was absolutely thrilled by the news. I foolishly thought this was a win-win for me. It meant it was, I was absolved of my obligation to her and didn't have to wed her to my last son. In fact, my first thought was to have her killed for her actions. Again, a win-win, I thought. Little did I know the level of hypocrisy in the ironic reversal that was about to befall me. I shouted, bring her out, let her be burned. To my shame, I still recall the smirk on my face as I uttered those murderous words. As she was brought out, the blood immediately drained from my face. What I saw froze me. It momentarily took my breath away. She held in her hands my signet, cord, and staff. The symbols of my very identity had become the symbols of my shame and guilt. She was more righteous than me. I was the one that deserved to be burned for, her, for immorality, not her. God have mercy upon me, I thought. Over the years, I spent a lot of time reflecting on these two sins, the sale of my brother Joseph and my sexual immorality with Tamar. Both decisions served as turning points in my life. As my brother Joseph commented the other day, what man means for evil, God means for good. My sins with Joseph and Tamar were both prominent wake-up calls. I saw the blackness of my heart and the wickedness of my sin. Yet I also became acutely aware of my need for God's mercy. This awareness allowed God's transformation of my life to begin. I wish I had chosen righteousness over evil earlier in my life. Both my history and the history of my family may have forever been altered. Instead, I've personally experienced the reality that sin creates a trajectory.
small decisions lead to larger tendencies later in life. My wickedness with Joseph formed a pattern of decision-making that led to my actions with Tamar. My seared conscience made it so that I, I didn't even second-guess my decision to first sleep with what I thought was a prostitute, but then later demand Tamar's life for her promiscuity. Friends, sin is a pit that is ever deeper and ever darker. But thanks be to God, the story doesn't end there. When God is involved, there is always hope. There's always the potential for restoration. Let me explain by jumping ahead to my second journey to Egypt. I love sharing this part of the story because I'm actually proud of it. My family had consumed all our rations of grain because the famine was severe in the land. When dad said that we should go again to Egypt for more grain, I personally was the one who was honest and direct with him. I looked him straight in the eye and told him that for us to return to Egypt, we needed to bring Benjamin. Dad hadn't changed much over the years. He was still trapped in fear over his favored sons. So, I knew he would push back, but someone needed to be rational. Someone needed to make the mature, hard decisions. I looked him in the eye and told him that Benjamin's presence was a non-negotiable. He had to think about the little ones. We needed food. I finally convinced him by binding my fate with Benjamin's. I told dad that I would personally bear the responsibility and blame if anything happened to Benjamin. Now I understand you may be skeptical of my ability to follow through on this promise. And you have every right to feel that way based on what I've told you up to this point. I clearly do not have a good track record with favored children. But the recognition of my unrighteousness had awakened an awareness of within me that I had to change. I had to be different. Even though I had somewhat changed already, God would do an even greater work during the second journey to Egypt. My transformation came to fruition because of one word, mercy. Mercy. I can't really think about our second trip to Egypt without being overwhelmed by God's mercy. My father Jacob sent us out with these departing words to Egypt. May God Almighty grant you mercy before the man. Looking back now, this was a prophetic word for every experience that was to come for me and for Benjamin in Egypt. As soon as we entered Egypt, a high-ranking steward brought us to Joseph's house. Of course, at that time, we didn't know it was Joseph. We simply knew him as Zapanath Paneah, the Egyptian overseer of Pharaoh. When we were led to his home, I was utterly terrified. I thought we would be punished or even killed because of the situation with the money in our sacks from our first visit. I knew more acutely than most what someone might be willing to do over a few silver coins. But rather than punishment, we received peace. When we told the steward our side of the story, he responded, peace to you, do not be afraid. 
Your God and the God of your father has put treasure in your sacks for you. I received your money. He then returned our brother Simeon to us. I, I was stunned. Quickly my terror was replaced by an overwhelming sense of gratitude and wonder. How did this Egyptian know about Elohim, my God, and the God of my father Jacob? Why did he freely offer us peace? Why did he return Simeon to us before we had even returned our money? God's hidden and gracious hand became clearly visible to me in that moment. Our spiritual sacks were overflowing with God's treasure, his abundant grace and peace, and most notably, his mercy. It didn't stop there, though. God's mercy was present even in our meal with Joseph. I didn't know it at the time. But Joseph later told me that when he first saw Benjamin, he too felt waves of mercy for him. He said, and I quote, my mercies grew warm for Benjamin. To this day, I still get chills when I think about this experience. God was so good to us in Egypt. I want to pause and add some thoughts on what I've learned through this experience. It's clear to me now that mercy prompts transformation. We deserved malice from Joseph, but instead we received mercy. We earned death, but instead experienced delight. We didn't get what we deserved. And consequently, I was humbled. This ordeal changed my disposition towards others. I began treating others the way I had been treated with grace, generosity, and open-handedness. Don't believe me? Here's the proof. Later in Egypt, all of us brothers sat down for a meal together. When the decadent food was brought out, Joseph intentionally gave Benjamin five times more food than the rest of us. He was testing us to see if we had changed. Remember the last time a brother had received special attention? We sold and almost killed him. This time, we had passed the test. Favoritism no longer piqued our sense of justice. My calloused heart had been softened and replaced with generosity, as well as contentment and gratitude. Contentment and gratitude for our safe passage, for this banquet with my brothers, for the safe return of Simeon, and for God's mercy. At that moment, I realized the depth of my name's meaning. Judah is Hebrew, for I will praise the Lord. Later in my story, Joseph again tested all of us by placing a silver cup in Benjamin's bag. When this came to light and Benjamin was imprisoned, I could have persuaded my brothers to abandon Benjamin, to turn on him as we turned on Joseph. The stakes were higher this time. Rather than silver, our personal freedom was on the line. But that thought never even crossed my mind. I was different now. I tore my clothes as soon as the silver cup incriminated Benjamin. Together with my brothers, we loaded our donkeys and headed back to Egypt to talk to Pharaoh's overseer. My story then comes full circle. I'm the one who begged Joseph for mercy on behalf of my brother Benjamin. I still remember how clammy my skin felt when I spoke to the second most powerful man in Egypt. But I was determined 
in my actions. I looked Joseph straight up in the eyes and told him to take me. Take me rather than the boy. I was willing to give my life so that he might live. He was my responsibility. I'd sold one brother. I would save the other. When I tell people my story, especially the ending, they call me admirable. They say I was courageous and sacrificial. But that's why I always start my story sharing my two greatest sins. I wasn't always the man that you see before you today. But recognizing my depravity and my brokenness and experiencing God's mercy brought about a remarkable transformation in my life. I became the man I am in front of you today because of the work of God in my life. And if God can change me, I know that he can change you. You may even have a son like me currently acting like I did in my earlier days. Don't give up on him. God can show mercy even after sin like mine. In fact, it's clear to me that he delights in doing so. He certainly delighted in showing me mercy. My name is Joseph. I'm one of the 12 sons of Jacob. And this is my story. Amen.